Hello and welcome to Run the Table. I'm your host, Bryce Tinson, and today we're just going to hop right into it. NBA playoff talk. Let's go. Game six, Friday night, Clippers versus Jazz. I'm going to be honest, I stopped watching at halftime because the Jazz were up by 20. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. Little did I know, Terrence Mann was going to take over and the Jazz were going to blow a 25-point lead. They decided to channel their inner 76ers. And I don't know why they did that, but they did. Shout out to PG and Ty Lue. They played great. Well, Ty Lue didn't play great. He coached great because he's the coach. But PG played great. I think he had 34. But shout out Terrence freaking man. Oh, my God. Wow, what a performance. 39 and 20 in the third quarter to will his team back down 25. You know, that's that's an, that's one of the performances of the playoffs this year. And that's, I mean, that's not to be taken lightly because we've had some great playoff performances, but that was something we didn't expect and something that is... And it, it, Terrence Mann doing that is almost like just, you know, unfathomable. To, he's a bench player, he's a role player, and he just went for 39 against the defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, and a very stout defense in the Jazz. Although, what happened to the Jazz? 2-0 lead to start looked really good, and they lose four straight and lost the last one by, I mean, in a, in a way that should have never happened. That was almost like a an Atlanta-type choke job, an Atlanta sports choke job, where you've got this big lead, you're feeling confident, you're feeling good, and then all of a sudden, everything falls apart. And there's really no rhyme or reason. It just happens. They didn't adjust very well. Like I said, I didn't watch the rest of it because I thought they were going to win, and it was 11.45, and I had to work in the morning. I didn't, I didn't really want to you know, stay up for a, a blowout. Turns out the Jazz just decided to miss shots, and the Clippers decided they weren't going to miss. So we're going to transition that into the game one of the Clippers' Suns. So they play. They, Chris Paul is out. Kawhi Leonard probably tore his ACL. He's probably out the rest of the year. But Chris Paul's out because of COVID. Who knows when he'll be back. Still haven't got any word on that. But they were both, both teams were down their best player. So, you know, it was one of those situations where you needed your role players to step up. Or you needed your number two to play out of their freaking mind. And guess what? Devin Booker played out of his freaking mind. 40-point triple-double. 13 boards, 11 assists. No, 11 assists... I just said it. 13 assists, 11 boards, or something like that. It was something along those lines. I Come on. Have your best playoff game ever when you, in, in game one of the uh, Western Conference Finals when, you're be, when Chris Paul, the best player on the team, the leader, is out. What, what a way to, to make a statement by Devin Booker. I saw Stephen A. compare him to Kobe Bryant. I don't know if I'd go that far yet because Devin Booker seems to be a little bit more of an efficient shooter than Kobe was. But, I mean, he he played he played out of his freaking mind. And then you get 20 and 9 from DeAndre Ayton. That was a huge... That's 62 points right there between the two of them. That's half their points. That That is huge, especially without Chris Paul. And then, you know, you get Paul George and Reggie Jackson on the other side. Paul George with 34, Reggie with 24. It wasn't enough, but they played really well. And you have to you have to commend them for that. Round of applause for that. They played really well. I don't I don't think I don't think the Clippers can do it. And here was here was the real story from the game. When I said role players step up, well, guess what? The Suns role players did. They were they had three guys. I I, I wrote it down here. Torrey Craig was plus 18 in 15 minutes. Cameron Johnson was plus 14 in 24. And Campaign was plus 14 in 29 minutes. That's what you need. You need your role players to, to be plus that much because it means they're extending leads or they're cutting deficits. That's exactly what you need from your role players is to have a plus like that. They had three guys. I mean, Campaign was a starter because Chris Paul was out. But they had two guys from the bench that were plus, double digits. That is the key to winning, especially when Chris Paul is out. Like I keep saying, I just feel, I get this feeling that the Suns are going to win it in five. 
especially because they get Chris Paul back, maybe game two, maybe game three, and, and the Clippers don't get Kawhi back. So one team gets their best player back, the other one doesn't, and is still forced. I mean, I will preface this. I will say this. The Clippers bench and rotational guys have played out of their mind. They have done exactly what they've needed to, to do in order to keep the Clippers competitive in these three games that they haven't had Kawhi. But I just think the Suns are going to be too much, and it's going to be Suns and five. It's not going to be Suns and four guy. Suns and five guy. But they still win and, and make it to the, to the finals, their first finals and since 93. That's pretty impressive. One inch decides a series. One inch inch if Kevin Durant is one inch further back the Nets are going to the Eastern Conference Finals oh my god what a game what a game did you know that's the third ever game seven where two guys on different teams each had 40 points Katie had 48, Giannis had 40. What a freaking game. Oh my God, I stayed up and watched every single second of this game. It was worth it. That shot, listen, I had this feeling, and I'm pretty sure everybody had this feeling, that Katie was going to hit that last shot. And personally, I thought it was going to be a three. But when I watched it, I knew it was a two. I didn't think it was as close as it was. I thought his foot was more on it. But I knew it was a two. And when I heard Marv Albert go, it's a three, the the Nets win. I'm like, "Uh, Marv, hold your horses there, bud. Hold your horses. It's not over yet. And, you know, the Nets really wish it would have been. Because overtime happens and KD is gassed. It was so odd. I mean, listen, everybody was gassed. But you could tell that KD didn't have much left. He did not have much left. And it was very apparent. And it was even more apparent by that last shot that he took that it just didn't look like he had legs. He, it, it looked like he was trying to shoot it all upper body and it just, his body just gave out on him because he missed by a good couple inches, which he doesn't do. KD doesn't do that. I do want to talk about Brooke Lopez, though, for a second, because Brooke Lopez had the boneheaded mistake in the final six seconds where the Bucks, all the Bucks needed to do, actually, it was before the six seconds, all the Bucks needed to do was get a shot up. There was like 2.3 seconds left on the shot clock, and they needed to shoot the ball. Brooke Lopez gets the ball in the corner and tries to pass it to Chris Middleton for the entire 2.3 seconds. Instead of just chucking up a shot, hoping it hits the rim, if it doesn't, you still got to wait until the ball comes down. See if it hits the rim or something. So they could have shaved a couple more seconds off the clock. But he redeemed himself immensely in overtime when the Bucks. I can't remember if they were up or if it was tied, he blocked a KD layup and then the Bucks went in transition and got two points. That was huge. He redeemed himself. Big time. But it was still a stupid decision by his part in, in, in that fourth quarter. And it allowed KD to have that time to do it. Now, I don't know why P.J. Tucker was on him. I was saying while watching it, put Giannis on him. He's bigger. He's longer. He'll be able to put a hand in KD's face. But P.J. Tucker was on him. And P.J. Tucker got cooked. Like he had been. Although... He, did, he was on him, or no, Chris Middleton was on him, the final shot, because P.J. fouled out. So, you know, I, maybe, they, maybe they put Chris Middleton on him earlier, but they won the game, so that what-if really doesn't matter all that much. What I, really, what I really need to talk about is Steve Nash. He probably cost the Nets of this series because he decided that he was going to play a six-man rotation for most the last three games. It worked in game five. Because Katie was still kind of, his legs were still kind of there. But it, it came back to bite them in game six and seven. It was, Katie literally, he played all of game five and then all of game seven. 
You can. He played 53 minutes in Game Seven. You can't ask him to do that. You have to give him breaks and and, and rest. He didn't do it. Instead, he opted to play um, six guys, and the sixth guy off the bench was either Jeff Green or Landry Shamit. That's not. That's not a. <laughs> you have to use your depth. They didn't play Bruce Brown at all in the in Game Six. He did in Game Seven though. Um, I don't. I don't remember how much he played, but I do remember seeing him out there. So that was better. But he didn't take KD out at all. So these minutes caught up to these guys, and you could tell in the in overtime if KD hits another two and ties the game there, and they go to an, another overtime. I'm convinced KD might pass out on the might have passed out on the court. It was for him to play that much. I understand it's a game seven, but he's a human. He's still human. You can't do that to him. But and and James Harden played all fifty three minutes too, like that was James. Why he's he's on a hurt hamstring and you're expecting him to to play a full game plus overtime? I don't I didn't understand that. I mean Chris Middleton only got thirty nine seconds of rest. I should be just as mad as at Mike Budenholzer, but Mike Budenholzer didn't do it for games five and six too. Giannis only got three minutes of rest, which. That's what Steve Nash should have done with KD is give three minutes. That's all you need is three minutes. I'm not asking you to take him out for 10 minutes of the game. Three minutes, and guess what? The Bucs did it, and it, it didn't hurt him. Next next up is Drew Holiday. He was awful. He was so bad. Besides a like three-minute stretch, no. I don't even think it was three minutes. There was a stretch in the fourth quarter. Or overtime. God, I can't remember, and I, I'm sorry about that. He would not miss. I think he went three for four. He hit a step back three, a fadeaway on the baseline, and had, had a, a mid-range jumper from like the key, the top of the key. And Drew Holiday was playing awful. He was, he was probably the second worst player on the court. Yet, when it mattered most, he stepped up and hit huge shots. Just like Chris Middleton did, he I think his last ten shots he was five for ten. Chris Middleton was before that I I don't think he was hitting the broad side of, side of a barn, but when it when it mattered most he stepped up. That was something that couldn't be said about KD's supporting cast. KD literally did all he could. He had forty eight points and was I mean was making shots that a, a normal person shouldn't be able to make. A mere mortal shouldn't be able to make. He was just too gassed in the end. And guess what? James Harden couldn't help him. Joe Harris couldn't help him. James Harden went 5 for 17 and was 2 for 12 from 3. That is abysmal. And to sit here and and for you you guys listening, to sit here and to, to comprehend that, he still had 22 points. Because he got to the line 10 times. If James Harden isn't one of the best foul, foul drawers in the NBA, he's sitting with 12 points in a Game 7. Now, it's no surprise James Harden didn't show up in a Game 7 because he usually doesn't. He shoots the ball like crap. But I don't care. I understand he was playing on a grade 2 hamstring strain, which, it, it, I mean... If we're being honest, it's probably one of the tougher things to play on because it's not like it's not like it's hindering you from playing, but you can't go. You're never a hundred percent. Like you can't fully extend your leg. And you can tell when he was taking his jump shots that he didn't want to land on it. He was he was like landing on one leg and then like springing springing off of it. But if you're gonna play, you have to you have to be better than that. If you're going to play, you can't be a detriment to your team like he was. He was taking open threes and just missing them, which James Harden doesn't do. And going back, I mean, going back to Steve Nash, because I didn't, I didn't get to all of it when I was talking about the minutes his players played, but Joe Harris was terrible, right? He was awful. He was missing everything in game seven, especially. Why, why didn't Steve Nash take him out? Especially in the clutch when you, you need the baskets the most. He left him in there, and Joe Harris missed the three in overtime. Wide open. He missed it. 
Like, he couldn't have been more wide open. And this is a guy who led the league in three-point percentage. Something wasn't right, and Steve Nash just left him in to deal with it. I'm not really sure why, but here's the real the real issue I had with Steve Nash is that before KD took that last shot, there was time where they had to walk the ball up the court and then dribble there, right? Steve Nash had a timeout in his back pocket. He decided that he would rather take it home to, Bro- or I don't know where he lives, but keep it in Brooklyn. He didn't want to use that timeout in the game. He wanted to take it home with him. Instead of using the timeout, giving KD some rest, a minute, minute and a half of rest, and drawing up a play to win the game. Because you don't, you're not, it, listen, KD wasn't, they weren't going to draw up a play for a two because they needed to win that game in overtime. And in one overtime. Because of the rust issue. Give him a little bit of a break. Steve Nash didn't. They got a terrible ISO shot from KD. I, I mean, KD usually would hit that. Like, his regular uh, regulation shot was a terrible shot selection. But it's KD, so it's really not. They could have got him a better shot. And he could have had lighter legs for it. Felt a little more you know, buoyant and not weighed down like like just 100 pounds of bricks on him. No, he kept them. He kept the timeout, and KD airballs a shot. They don't, I mean, it's not a very good shot, not a very good look for him. And so, sit here, and now the Nets are watching the rest of the, rest of the playoffs. I think they'll be back next year, probably in the finals. They're just too good of a team not to. The only issue is that they have to stay healthy. They have to play together. I think they played, was it eight games this year together? That's bad. That's really bad, especially when you trade for James Harden. I think KD's legacy is fine. I think it's actually improved his legacy a little bit because, like I said, he had the performance of a game one 2018 finals LeBron James. He had that kind of performance. Like... And I said that, I prefaced that before the game. If he had that kind of performance, his legacy was going to be fine. He did. So Katie doesn't take a hit for losing this game. Now, I, I, did, I did see some stuff where if this was LeBron in Katie's shoes, he would have been berated. And I agree, he would have been. But I don't think Katie deserves that treatment. I, I don't think anybody deserves that treatment. Not even LeBron. I don't think it's fair. I think it's actually kind of stupid. But... People hate greatness. That's what they do. So, KD, you played a hell of a game. You had a hell of a series. All credit to you. And Mike Budenholzer, you survived one more series. You're probably going to survive one more. Moving on to the funeral. A little rest in peace for the process. The process is dead. Screw the process. Don't trust it anymore. It's over. It's it's capoosh. It's capiche. Blow it all up. That's my message to the 76ers and their fans. Joel Embiid, a little message to you. If you ever listen to this, which you never will, congratulations. You just played one of the best series ever. Not one of the best series ever. I, one of the best series ever on a torn meniscus. There it is. That was That was a gutsy performance. And you did basically as much as you could. I really don't think you could have done much more. Seth Curry was really the only one that decided that he was going to show up for you game in and game out. Tobias Harris was awful. He shot 8 for 22. That's garbage. Especially in a game 7 when you got another guy who's going to put up 31 and 13. The, the, the number one guy on the team is going to put up 31 and 13. And then the number two guy is going to be just, I oh, Ben Simmons. Oh, my gosh, Ben Simmons. Okay, so if you're supposedly a number two on a team and, and you're even trying to make the case that you're or the argument that you're number one, how are you going to be afraid to shoot the ball? Or, or not even shoot the ball, but dunk the ball. Literally dunk the ball. You spin off of a, I think it was Gallinari. You spin off of Gallinari, and there's literally nobody there. You are two inches from the rim. You're standing right there. 
Guess who's coming over to help? Trey freaking Young. He's 5'11", six foot. Just dunk on him. Guess he, he fucking passes the ball to Tyrese Maxey. I cannot believe he actually did that. I mean, Joel Embiid even, even said it after the game. He felt like they lost the game when they had an open shot and only got one point out of it. And I could not agree more. Ben Simmons, you have to. You absolutely have to play better than that. And this wasn't just one game. This was the entire series. He played like garbage. He took, I think he totaled 10 shots in seven fourth quarters of the entire series. I have never seen anything worse. He didn't take a single fourth quarter shot in the last three games of the series, in games five, six, and seven. And who knows why? Maybe it's because he's scared of shooting free throws because he shot the worst free throw percentage with a minimum of 70 attempts ever in postseason history. 34.2% he shot from the free throw line. Who knows if he was scared to shoot free throws or if he just has zero confidence in his offensive game. I legitimately think he could not shoot the ball. When you have a two-foot layup or dunk and you choose to pass the ball to a guy who's seven, eight feet, nine feet, maybe even 10 feet away from the net. I mean, there's something wrong there. There is legitimately something wrong. And Ben Simmons, I hope you get help because I'm scared. I'm, I'm worried for you. You need to be traded. The Sixers need to get rid of you, but I'm worried for you. I, wanted, I want to see you succeed, but you, you have to do something. Like, work on shooting the ball. I mean, do the, do the, the one-handed pregame like shots where you take you got to make five from from just under the cup and then you move back a couple steps do that just sit in the gym and do that i just don't i i don't know i don't know i don't know what to do about ben simmons if you're if you're the sixers there's some sort of mental block there i don't know but doc rivers you don't get a pass either i i i get you you did what you could with ben simmons playing that bad. I mean, you did say it after the game. You don't know if Ben Simmons can be a point guard on a championship winning team. And I agree with you. He's that bad. But you do not get to get a pass. This has happened so many times where you choke in the playoffs. And I don't... You don't get a pass, Doc. You don't get a pass. You are a problem, too. And if the Sixers don't get rid of you, I think they're in for a world of hurt because you just continuously let your teams down in and out in series. You won one, you won one finals. That was it. And you, you, you barely did it. If we're being honest, you barely got out of the first round. So I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear this. Doc Rivers is such a great coach. Cause he's really not, he's really not that good of a coach. And I, I do want to give some credit to Seth Curry. Like I said earlier, showed up game in and game out. And he was really the only other 76er that was that looked like he wanted <laughs> wanted to win this series other than Joel Embiid. But going from Doc Rivers, who is an overrated coach by all set of the standards, we go to one of the most underrated coaches in the NBA who is probably not that underrated anymore. But Nate, Nate McMillan, you are a godsend to the city of Atlanta. You have this team outplaying their capabilities. I mean, 10, 10 to 9. It, I mean, second to 9 is this is one of the one of the better coaching performances I've seen and probably one of the best, if not the best, actually second best cuz Monty Williams is doing a great job over in Phoenix, but the second best coaching performance of the playoffs so far. Actually, maybe third best cuz Ty Lue is also doing a good job. I don't know. But listen, Nate McMillan, you are just absolutely amazing at your job. Since so the Hawks fired Lloyd Pierce after going 14 and 20 uh during the regular season. It just wasn't getting it done. Since then, Nate McMillan and the Hawks, well actually the rest of the regular season, they went 35 and 15. It could be the rest of the season. I, I, I don't remember the exact wording of the stat. I just remember the numbers. But since going 14 and 20 at the start of the season, they were 35 and 15. 
the rest of the way. That is that is good enough to get you a one or two seed. They were the five. They're playing out of their mind right now. And it's because of Nate McMillan. He is so good. Lloyd Pierce. If It really makes you think about how bad Lloyd Pierce was if Nate McMillan is doing this. But if if they he was hired as an interim, if they don't extend him, I don't know what's going on in Atlanta. I don't know what's up with the water. But let's talk about Kevin Hor- Hor- Herter. Yeah, Kevin Herter coming out game. 27 points on 10 of 18 shooting. He was the offense. It got to the point, like, so this is the thing, is that Nate McMillan literally started drawing up plays and running the offense through Kevin Herter because of the game he was having and because Trey was having an off night. That is something that I don't think a Steve Nash or a Mike Budenholzer would do, or a Doc Rivers. They would just keep trying to force feed their star player. I mean, Trey got, still got his shots, but when you shoot 5 for 23 in a game, it's bad. He did have 10 assists, and you, you knew he had the confidence still because there was a couple times, there was a couple shots where he was especially from his three-pointers, where he was deep. There was one he hit that was big, and, and, and I don't remember the exact score, but I remember exactly where he shot it from. And it looked like it, it looked like after the shot that he had, he had just hit like his eighth three of the game. He was like eight for 11, and he just hit that. That's what it, that's what it looked like. But no, he shot awful. He got to the free-throw line like he does, but he was, he was awful for, but he hit the shots when they mattered, which which was huge for them. It was absolutely the best thing that could have happened was for Trey Young to make his shots at the end, which he did. And John John Collins is a bored man, but he also shames families. Oh my god! So he had sixteen rebounds in Game Seven. That's not really what I what I want to talk about is his is his post game uh, press conference. He had a T shirt on. And on it was a picture of him giving uh, Joel Embiid a facial. I think it was from game five. Yeah. No, it was from game six. It was from game six. He was giving him a facial. Or was it game five? I don't remember when it was. I think it was game five. It was It was brutal. <laughs> it was awful. And, and John Collins does not care about Joel Embiid or his family. But I, I'm even after all I just said about the Hawks, there is no way in hell the Hawks are going to beat the Bucks. Absolutely no way. And I hope Drew Holiday actually has a good series, but even if he doesn't, I still don't think that it's even going to be that close. And I'm probably going to be wrong again, but I don't care. The Bucks are going to win five or six games. Probably five. I'm going with five. But the Hawks had a great run. We're going to do some NHL playoffs next. And then we're going to get into NBA lottery talk. And I got a nice little top 10 for you. So stick stick around. NHL playoff hockey. That's right. I know I haven't been as in-depth with some of my recaps. But that's because there's only one game every other night. And I, I don't watch them because... I'm going to be honest. I like I like basketball more, and I I usually playoff basketball usually sucks, but this year it's actually been good. So, well, I, I've tried to watch my fair share of of hockey. I haven't been as diligent as I would like to have been, but that is why I am I have the uh, Lightning Islanders game on, and it's currently three nothing Tampa Bay. So if by the time you hear this, Tampa Bay has lost the game, I'm sorry, but <laughs> Tampa Bay is going to win this. They've they've looked really good so far. It's the second period. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna have no issue. But I guess we'll talk about Game Four because we're. I just mentioned them. Um, the Islanders won Game Four, and if if I'm going to be honest, I like I said, I didn't watch it, but I did catch some of the highlights. And Ryan Pollock. Holy crap. What a save. I MVP. I'm giving him the MVP. I don't know. Give him the puck. That was 
heads up awareness like that to save the game in that way. Oh my God. Oh my God. That was, oh, that was so good. That was so good for the Islanders to tie it up at two. Oh, the lightning just scored again. They're up four, nothing now. That's not good. That's really bad for, for the Isles. They've done better than I thought. I thought it was going to be a five-game series, but the Islanders have already won two games, two of the four games. Vasilevsky played pretty bad in game four. I mean, he, he it's not like he played awful, but he did give up three goals, which isn't normal of him. But some saving grace for the Lightning fans who obviously you'll already know the end of the um, or the score by the by the time this thing goes up is Vasilevsky is eleven and zero in the postseasons after after losing since the Columbus series. So changes are before this game even happened, you had a feeling that you were going to win. So I think I listen. I think the Lightning are going to win this thing in six. And I'm going to say it until I, until it actually happens. I think the Lightning are going to win. And I think it's going to happen in six. I think they're going to win it in the Coliseum. And the Coliseum is going to be, which is usually really loud, is going to be really quiet. And I think it's going to suck for Islanders fans. But it's going to be also a great feeling for Islanders fans because of how well they played this postseason. They've exceeded all my expectations and they've exceeded a lot of people's expectations. And I'm going to attribute that to the fact that the people I listen to on hockey, um, Spittin' Chicklets, said the Islanders were going to suck. So I've, I've because I don't know a ton about hockey, I've kind of <laughs> kind of been influenced by them. So I'm sorry for that. I, I should have taken the Islanders a little bit more seriously. But you're not going to win this series. I actually know the Lightning are good. So... Going next to the Knights and Habs. Habs tie it up. I just don't... I don't get it. I thought the I thought the Canadians were supposed to be bad. I thought they were supposed to be really bad. I was told that the Lightning were going to smoke them. What is going on? What is going... I don't understand. All I know is that... Um, Mark Andre Mark Andre Fleury had an absolutely boneheaded play that cost him the game. I can't remember if it was game two or game three, but it it cost them big time. They ended up losing the game because of it. Um, and then they, he got scratched for game four. They put in Robin Lehner, Lehner, Lehner. I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce it, but he was the guy that got blasted in game one of the Av series. Gave up seven goals. Or six goals, however many it was. He gave up one goal against the Habs. And guess what? They won. Nick Roy hit the hit the hit the game winner in overtime. After after I think they tied it up in the final minutes. Like they were the Habs were leading for, for most or actually no, they didn't score until late. But I think the I think the Golden Knights didn't score until like literally the final two minutes. And then they won it in overtime pretty quickly. I think there was like, I think it was within like a minute 20 they won it. So, listen, I'm still sticking with the Golden Knights. Even though they don't look as good after a couple games so far. Marc-Andre Fleury is not playing as as good as he was against, as he was against the Avs. So, who knows what's going to happen. I'm still sticking with the Golden Knights. That was my pick before. So, I'm sticking with it. It better not let me down. But Vegas better be rocking, baby, because they're going to freaking Stanley Cup. Vegas is going to be rocking. Going to talk to NBA Draft Lottery next because it is Tuesday night, and you know what the lottery does. So stay tuned. NBA Draft Lottery talk, and I'm actually kind of excited about it because the Pistons are there. So the Rockets, the Magic, and the Pistons each have a 14.5% of getting the top spot. Now, I don't think that the Pistons are going to get it. I'll get to that a little later. I'll go through the go through the list of, of who's got the best shots. The Thunder at four. They have two other first-round picks. And I've heard rumors 
that they're going to try to trade up into the top five using some of their assets outside of this pick. The Cavs are at five. Sexland and and, and Kevin Love. Um, the T-Wolves are at six. But if it's not top three, it goes to the Warriors. The Raptors are at seven. The Bulls at eight. But if it's not top four, it goes to the Magic. So the Magic could potentially have two top 10 picks. Now, the scenario for the Magic is to get the number one pick and the number five pick. That's the best case scenario for them. The Kings, Pelicans, and Hornets are all at 4.5% to get the number one pick. The Spurs are at 1.8%. The Pacers are at 13 And the Warriors are at 14 at 1.7% and like 0.8% respectively. The Pelicans will somehow get the first overall pick because Zion Williamson is not happy and they got to keep him happy. I don't have any science or, or, or facts to prove this, but I just have a feeling that that's going to happen. Because we know the lottery, NBA lottery isn't real. It's rigged. It's BS. They just reward teams in big markets that could use some good players. So it's not it's not going to uh, the Rockets, the Magic, or the Pistons because they all suck. Actually, the Pistons don't suck. The Magic actually have quite a few pieces as well. The Rockets suck. They're bad. They're really bad. But the Pistons will probably end up getting like the eighth pick or something um, because of math in Detroit. So you, you add math with the city of Detroit, and it equals screwed. So it, it essentially means that they're, <laughs> they're not going to get the number one pick. They're going to be picking outside of the top three. And all the Detroit Pistons Twitter will be pissed. Like I said earlier, the Magic will get... Well, actually, they're going to get two and four because the Pelicans are going to get the number one spot. Actually, you know what? Why not? Give it to the Warriors. Well, I, that would mean that they'd have to go from 14 to one. And I think that is legitimately impossible. Like, statistically, the, the probability of that happening would be insane. Like I said, okay, so he was going to trade up. Might trade Kemba Walker. The only issue is who is going to want Kemba Walker out of the top five teams. So the Bulls maybe will take Kemba Walker, but I don't know with Zach Levine there. Maybe the Timberwolves take him. I, maybe the Raptors. They have Jared Lowry, Jared Lowry, Kyle Lowry. I'm stupid. Um, I just don't see it. Maybe the Pelicans, depending on where the Pelicans fall. But I don't know who's going to trade a, a, a top 10 pick for Kemba Walker at this point. But he's really one of their only assets. They're not, I don't, maybe one of the other first round picks and Kyle, or not Kyle Lowry, why, Kemba Walker would go. But I just don't see I don't see any of these teams in like, oh yeah, Kemba Walker's their their next piece in order to make a run at, at the playoffs. Like they would be more benefited from actually picking one of the what in what they deem to be the top ten best um, best players in the, of this draft. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure who's going to go number one, and I guess we'll figure that out once we get the teams. But I've heard rumors, or not really rumors, but the likelihood is it's going to be Kate Cunningham. And that after that, it's really a team preference. But it seems like Cade Cunningham is going to be the pick. He does like to shoot the ball. So hopefully you don't have a ball hog like the Bulls do. And Zach Levine, I wouldn't call him a ball hog, but he does like to control the ball quite a bit. But if I had to guess who was going to get the number one overall pick, in all seriousness, I don't think it'll be the Pelicans. Ah. I can't, because I wholeheartedly believe that the NBA lottery, NBA lottery is not actually done randomly. I think they do rig it somehow, some way. I've seen too many co- coincidental things happen. Although, maybe under Adam Silver is different, because why in the world would you want the Pelicans to, why, why would you want Zion to go to the Pelicans in, in New Orleans? It's one of your worst markets. Like, your worst owners are there. So I'm not entirely sure, but I can't get over what I what I have seen with other commissioners who will not be named. So I'm not, I'm going to, I don't, mm, I would have to say that the 
Bulls are a pretty good, pretty good pick because it means the Magic don't get their pick. Because I do think the Bulls are the closest to taking that next step. They've got the talent around them, like on that roster. They just need like one more player, one more like bona fide superstar. Bonafide superstar in quotes because it's a rookie. How much of an impact is it, is the rookie going to have? I don't know, but I think the Bulls is probably a, a serious shot because I don't think they're going to give. I don't think the Rockets are going to get anybody. Magic maybe, Magic maybe that would be an interesting one. Uh, and then the Pistons, there's no way in hell a Detroit team gets the number one overall pick. It's just not going to happen unless it's like the NFL where you just absolutely or the MLB where you just suck. Like, you are the worst team. It's not happening because if you have a lottery, Detroit's just going to get screwed. Too, too many experiences with lotteries and, and the Detroit teams. But that, that kind of leads me into uh, a little top 10 list. Yeah? You excited for that? Um, before, before we do that, I just want to say something real quick. Um, the loser of the week, because I forgot to do it earlier, is Ben Simmons because he's an actual loser. And he should just go hibernate forever in Australia. Go go to the outback, live off the land because he's a he's a bum, he's a bum. So we're gonna get into this little top ten list that I made, and it's pretty much it, there's a little. It's pretty much all based off of personal opinion. I did add some stuff in there, you know, to kind of prove my point, but I think you guys are gonna like it. So stick around. Top 10 list. So this is the top 10 unluckiest slash worst sports cities since 2010. So I, you could probably take a guess of, of what kind of teams are on, teams are on here. But I, I wanted to keep it more recent. I don't like going all the way back. It, there's too many variables. It's like, oh, well, the, the Bills were really bad in the 90s. I mean, they made four Super Bowls, but... You get my you get my point. Like the the what's a good example? The Falcons were terrible in the what, the eighties. I you know I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just like keeping it like short frame and and recent. I like being recent because I'm a younger person. So just yeah, I, I don't know why it took me that long to explain it, but we're gonna start at number ten. We got Cleveland. Now, if this was 2000 to 20 or like 2000 to 2009, 2010, then I would say they're probably higher on this list. But they do have a championship now and they did and they went to multiple many a finals. They also went to a World Series. The only, the thing that happened in the World Series was kind of sucky though. They went they they blew a 3-1 lead the Indians did. Um, they have one of the cheapest front offices in the MLB, and they have won no other series than that World Series run, which sucks. That's really not that good. Um, obviously, the Cavs, LeBron left you. He left you. He said, screw Cleveland, mostly because, again, Dan Gilbert, but he said, sayonara. You guys were awful for the four years he was gone. You did get Kyrie, but you also drafted Anthony Bennett. So, I think those two cancel out because Kyrie did end up leaving. But LeBron comes back. He wins you a championship, and then he leaves again. He says, you guys suck and can't get me any good players. So, he leaves. Couldn't do much in Cleveland. And then you get to the Browns. Now, the Browns are good this year, and they were good last year. But... Wow, were they bad. I mean, there was a two-season stretch where they won one game. They went 1-15 and and 0-16. That is brutal. They finally found their quarterback after, I don't know how many since 2010, but I think they were up to 27 since 2000. It's not very good. They had that many different starting quarterbacks. Number nine... Is, is going to surprise some people, but it's Milwaukee slash Green Bay. I, I combine them because it's Wisconsin. But hear me out. The Packers, they won a Super Bowl in 2010. 
Yes, I know. But they haven't... Like, what have they done besides... They've been to five or four conference championships and lost all of them. They weren't competitive against the 49ers. And the the one against the Seahawks was extraordinarily, extraordinarily unlucky. That was... I mean, to lose a game like that, that's rough. That is really rough. And you've done this all while having the most talented quarterback of all time. So, I mean, it says says something about your front office and how, I mean, lucky you have, you've been to have him, but how unlucky and crappy it's been that you haven't been able to do more with him. And then you get to the Bucks, who were awful before Giannis got there. And then they still haven't been able to do it with Giannis. They blew that 2-0 lead to the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019. And in the bubble, they lost to a five seed as the number one. That is just, that is embarrassing. Um, then you get the Brewers. And the Brewers have been pretty bad. When they haven't missed the playoffs and actually made it, they've lost the wildcard game every time. It's really not that not that fun. Pretty unlucky and crappy. Number eight, Phoenix. Which is kind of ironic considering the Suns are actually good this year, but they weren't. Um, they were this was literally their first time making the playoffs since twenty ten. So I don't really want to hear it. They've been pretty freaking bad. They've been picking at the top for a lot of years. Um, then you get the D-backs who have made two playoffs since 2010. They've been pretty freaking bad too. They did have Paul Goldschmidt, but he's not on the team anymore. They're currently on the worst road game streak of all time, and they're gonna they're gonna shatter records, shatter records. They've been playing terrible baseball right now. Um, then you get to the Cardinals. I mean, do I really have to say it? They've they've made the playoffs twice, and I think they won one game. So it's it's bad, it's bad. And you've had Larry Fitzgerald too. Larry Fitzgerald's awesome. And you still can't do anything with him. And then obviously the Coyotes are terrible because they're a Southern market in, in in a cold sport. They've made the playoffs four times since 2010 and haven't made it past the first round in three of the four. Number seven. Minneapolis. They haven't won anything meaningful meaningful since 1991. That's how bad they've been. The T-Wolves suck and haven't been remotely good since KG left. As he was traded to the Celtics. He has not been. The, the, the Timberwolves have been literally floor mats. They've been, they've been welcome mats because they welcome teams into their place to get curb stomped. The Twins choke all the time in the playoffs when they're actually a good... Like, they'll make the playoffs every once every couple years um, when they're not a terrible team, and then they'll just absolutely choke it. They'll have, like, one of the best records in baseball, and then they'll lose in the in the ALDS. The Vikings, they've <laughs> they literally... They make the playoffs every other year. They'll win a surprise game, and then they'll get blown out in the one that really matters. And then the Wild have won two playoff series in six trips. I don't I don't think they've won a single thing ever. So you can't expect much from them. Number six is Buffalo. The Bills are finally good, except we're awful in the 2010s. I don't think they won a single playoff game until this year. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, obviously the 2010s. It took them this long to make it. Uh, to, to win one of those games. And then the Sabres have been to one playoffs since 2010, and it was in 2010, so they haven't made the playoffs in 10 years, 11 years. That's pretty freaking bad. And you add on to the fact that Buffalo literally has, it ha- they have two teams, and it snows 800 inches every year there. So, real fun place. Number five, Philadelphia. I figured this is fitting, considering what just happened to you guys. The Eagles... Of all the teams in Philadelphia, the Eagles, the ones who are supposed to be the worst, won you your most recent 
championship. Other than that, though, they've been pretty bad. I think that was one of those years where it's like an anomaly. It's it's one of those, oh my God, this team was actually good that year kind of things. Because other than that year, they've won, I think, one other playoff game. So not too much exciting stuff happening over in, in Philly in terms of the Eagles. <laughs> and obviously the Sixers, yeah, you saw what happened against the Hawks. That's been happening for a while now. The process is dead. And they also destroyed Derrick Rose's career. So that's also on your conscience. I hope you feel good about that. The Flyers were probably the only bright spot in Philly, but really haven't been that good since 2010. I've, I mean, they weren't because the Phillies won in 2009 and then were back in 2010. No, they won in 2008, were back in 2009. They proceeded to make two more playoffs and then have been absent since then, even with the addition of Bryce Harper. So Philadelphia has relied on the Eagles of all teams. Yes. I said it. <laughs> I don't. I Philadelphia, I'm sorry. It's been real bad for you guys. But not worse than the four teams in front of you. Cincinnati is number four. And you should have seen it coming because seven first-round exits in a row under Marvin Lewis. Seven. Oh, for seven. They're were they the team that was good enough to make the playoffs. They were never good enough to get that first-round bye, but they were good enough to make the playoffs, and they were not good enough to win a damn playoff game because they couldn't do it. I'm sorry, Andy Dalton, but Marvin Lewis ruined your career because he was a terrible coach. And then they have one other team, which is the Reds. The Reds haven't won a playoff series since 2010. Although this year they look pretty good. They haven't been since since 2010. It's been real bad. It's been real bad. They, I mean, they had a they had an MVP in Joey Votto. Like they've had solid players, but they just haven't been able to get it done. It has not worked out for them. Number three, New Orleans. Talk about a terrible, unlucky, awful sports city. One of their two teams has never been good. The Pelicans. Nobody even cares about them. I've I've heard talks about them relocating again. Yes, again, they're going to relocate. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. And then you get the Saints, who I think are the biggest choke artists ever outside of the city of Atlanta in general. But to lose in some of the ways that they have, I mean, you get the Minneapolis Miracle, the PI game, like I think Kyle Rudolph, stiff arm in the end zone, catching it, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I feel like they can never get past the Vikings, which is an issue. Ever since winning that, I, you might have sold your soul to win that Super Bowl because the luck you've had since then is just awful. The Saints weren't even that good at the turn of the century. They were a consistent 7-9 team. And you finally hit your stride and haven't been able to do anything with it. So I don't even think you guys have made a championship game. Huh. Number two, Atlanta. I've been talking about them for so long, but... Their hockey, they had a hockey team, which I did not know. They were the Atlanta Thrashers, and they played from 2000 to 2011, but they had a little bit, they had a 2005 break. They didn't play in 2005. Actually, nobody in the NHL played in 2005 because it was a lockout season because I'm smart and know hockey. Um, yeah, the Thrashers lasted 11 seasons. So that was cool. They left in 2011 because Southern Market. Um, the Falcons blew a 28-3 to 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. Huh? Huh? Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? Yeah. Real cool to talk about. Other than that, the Falcons have been terrible. But they blew a 28-3 lead to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Guess what? They had multiple opportunities to, to win it, too. To shut them down. To, to cease the comeback. They blew a 28-3 lead. 28-3. There's literally a day 
328, March 28th. There's literally a day for Atlanta Falcons fans because they blew the freaking biggest lead in Super Bowl history. 28-3. And the Hawks were a great regular season team. They'd get the one or two seed. But then LeBron James showed up and shut them down because anytime they saw LeBron, they shrunk like little babies because that's what they were. Al Horford. Yeah, I'm talking about you. And then the Braves finally won their first playoff season or playoff series this past season. So congratulations to them. They look like they're going to be a team of the future, but have been awful up until now. They've been really bad. So I bet you're asking, what's the number one team on this list? And I bet you already know the answer to it. Because what other city could it be other than Detroit? Good old Detroit. Yes, number one on on worst sports cities slash unluckiest sports cities. And I don't even want to get into it. I really don't, but I'm going to because I want to. I, I, I lied. I really want to get into this. So currently, they're the worst sports city of anywhere. And I just I want to say something real quick. Um, we had a calendar year where we had the worst winning percentage of all time. Yeah, it was it was really bad. It was I think we were last. Our, all our sports teams were last besides the Lions. I could be wrong, but that's what it felt like. I definitely know the Red Wings and the Tigers were last. I don't know if the Pistons were. They're probably pretty close. And actually no, maybe not. Maybe maybe not. But the Lions definitely weren't. But we still we still are the worst. I mean, the Red Wings kept the playoff streak alive for seven seasons after losing to the Penguins in 2009. We only won three playoff series, though, so it's not like it really meant anything. And then since then, we've been really bad. Really freaking bad. We've picked in the top five every season, I think, after that. So it's just brutal. It's brutal to watch. Although we got Stevie Y now. So I think we're turning it around. Oh my God. Tampa Bay has scored two more times. It is now 6 nothing in the second period. This is just absolutely insane. Um, and obviously the Lions, it's hilarious. <laughs> the Lions, they've won one playoff game in their entire history. So, and it, it wasn't in the 2010s. They, they've made the playoffs. They made the playoffs three times. So, it, yeah, they sucked real bad. Real bad. I think they had one year where they got double-digit wins. So, the Pistons. (laughs) Josh Smith and Andre Drummond. We just finished paying Josh Smith this past year. Yeah. Uh Also, talk about being run-of-the-mill average. Yeah, that was us. Eight or nine seed. For the eight seed, we're getting swept in the first round. I don't... We haven't won a playoff game since 2007 or something like that. We're like 0-12 or 0-16 in our last playoff, four playoff appearances. We have literally not won a game. And you want to talk about bad. It's the Pistons. God, they're so awful. Although I think they're going to be good in the coming years. I feel I feel good about our situation. And then the Tigers. Woo! The Tigers. So the Tigers were good for four years. They made it to a World Series. Got swept. Got swept. Next year, they made it to uh, ALCS. And then they blew it to David Ortiz. Oh, he hit that grand slam, and it was all over. All over. 2014. Wow. And then since then, we've been awful. Alavila needs to be fired. Fire Alavila. Awful. We haven't been good since then, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. There's no there's no hitting on the team. The pitching staff looks pretty good. There's no hitting on the team. So that was all I had for you. So I'm going to recap the list, actually, real quick. Ten is Cleveland. Nine is Milwaukee slash Green Bay. Eight is Phoenix. Seven is Minneapolis. Six is Buffalo. Five is Philadelphia. Four is Cincinnati. Three is New Orleans. Two is Atlanta, and one 
is Detroit. Also, I want to I want to talk about something real quick. The the mini, Minneapolis teams, all of them go by Minnesota. None of them, none of them go by Minneapolis, which I can understand. But for Phoenix, literally one of the teams goes by it's the Suns. The Suns are the only team that go by Phoenix. You get the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Coyotes, and then the Phoenix Suns. Why are they the only one that goes by Phoenix? I don't understand that. But thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Yes, these are really the top 10 worst slash unluckiest sports cities to be in. It's 100% backed by facts, so I don't want to hear anything otherwise. Thank you guys for listening once again. I hope you enjoyed it. See ya.